Well, good morning, Central Baptist family. So good to have y'all joining us here this morning. And if you would take your Bibles, go to Job chapter 1. And uh, we're going to be preaching about Job today, talking about Job. And the, the, the title of our message today is simply Preparing for the Worst. Preparing for the Worst. Now, I know that may sound like a negative title, uh, but nonetheless, we're gonna, uh, uh, it's going to bring some positive uh, feedback from God's Word to you and sharing and how we can prepare ourselves for whenever the worst happens, you know, and obviously we look at Job and, and uh, he is a guy who you just can't get any worse than what happened to Job. Uh, so we're going to look at him today. And, but, you know, you ever had one of those really bad days? I mean, just one of those, everything goes wrong. You know, the washing machine overflows, the car breaks down, uh, the kids are sick, and an unexpected bill comes, and it's just all different kinds of just one thing after another after another. Uh, we've all had those days at one time or another, and one, I'll read you a little story about uh, one fellow who went through something like that. He, this guy was in an accident, a, not a car accident, but a work-related accident, and he had to fill out an insurance claim form. And uh, in doing so, the insurance company contacted him and said, basically, hey, we need more information about what happened. And uh, what I want to read to you is his response uh, to their, their question. So let me read that to you. He says, I'm writing a response to your request for additional information for block number three of the accident reporting form. I put poor planning as the cause of my accident. You said in your letter that I should explain more fully, and I trust the following detail will be sufficient. I'm an amateur radio operator, and on the day of the accident, I was working alone on the top section of my new 80-foot tower. When I had completed my work, I discovered that I had, of cor uh, over the course of several trips up the tower, brought up about 300 pounds of tools and spare hardware. Rather than carry the now unneeded tools and material down by hand, I decided to lower the items down in a small barrel using a pulley, which was fortunately attached to the gin pole at the top of the tower. Securing the rope at ground level, I went to the top of the tower and loaded the tools uh, and material into the barrel. Then I went back to the ground and untied the rope, holding it tightly to ensure a slow descent of the 300 pounds of tools. You will note... In block number 11 of the accident reporting form, that I weigh only 155 pounds. Due to my surprise of being jerked off the ground so suddenly, I lost my presence of mind and forgot to let go of the rope. Needless to say, I proceeded at a rather rapid rate of speed up the side of the tower. In the vicinity of the 40-foot level, I met the barrel coming down. This explains my fractured skull and broken collarbone. Slowed only slightly, I continued my rapid ascent, not stopping until the fingers of my right hand were two knuckles deep into the pulley. Fortunately, by this time, I had regained my presence of mind and was able to hold on to the rope in spite of my pain. At approximately the same time, however, the barrel of tools hit the ground and the bottom fell out of the barrel. Devoid of the weight of the tools, the barrel now only weighed about 20 pounds. I refer you again to block number 11 and my weight, 155 pounds. As you might imagine, I began a rapid descent down the side of the tower in the vicinity of the 40-foot level. I met the barrel coming up. This accounts for the two fractured ankles and the lacerations of my legs and lower body. 
The encounter with the barrel slowed me enough to lessen my injuries when I fell onto the pile of tools, and fortunately, only three vertebrae were cracked. I'm sorry to report, however, that as I lay there on the tools in pain, unable to stand, and watching the empty barrel 80 feet above me, I again lost my presence of mind, and I let go of the rope. We can figure out the rest. That guy had a pretty bad day uh, with that barrel and his tools. But, you know, nothing's uh, uh, too terrible in, in some situations, and other things are awful. You know, we all experience heartache. We all experience hurt, difficulty. And, of course, in this time of uh, the coronavirus and uh, COVID-19, uh, we all see, we see all this taking place and, and really so much more. We, you know, we see the loss of jobs, the loss of money. Some of you, you... you you look at the stock market and you see your 401k has just collapsed or your 403b there's just taken a huge hit. Um, the, our students, our children have lost education time. Uh, people have lost their jobs. It's possible we may not be able to do graduations, uh, kindergarten graduations, high school graduations, college graduations. Uh, vacations have been put on hold. Uh, weddings, school programs, and, and uh, senior trips, and all that kind of thing. But obviously, more importantly, the loss of, of people's health, and more, uh, most importantly, above all things, the loss of life. We found out that, you know, we're pretty vulnerable. We're pretty weak. And the world in the United States has been crippled by something that's unseen. And the question I want to put to us today is, how should believers respond? Are we prepared to respond? And that's why I want to take you to Job. Because Job, I believe, was prepared for the ultimate tragedy taking place in his life. But yet the response that he had concerning this tragedy is something else. In Job chapter 1, verse number 1, it says, There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and the one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep. 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Here we have a guy, huge family, seven sons, three daughters, 10 kids total. His wife, he's got all kinds of uh, sheep and camels and yoke of oxen. He's got everything in the world. He's got a very large household, which tells you he probably had literally hundreds of servants owned a huge uh, amount of land, and even was said in, in, in verse number 3, this man was the greatest of all the people in the East. Job was wealthy. Job was prosperous. God had blessed him immensely. And then we see in verses 6 through 12, Satan notices that. And Satan goes directly to God, and he says, you know what, God? Job just follows you because you bless him. I guarantee you, if you take away his blessing, he will curse you to your face. And God basically told Satan, you know what, Satan? Go right ahead. Do whatever you want to do to Job. Don't take his life and don't touch his body, but do whatever you want to do. And you'll find out that Job will worship me. And as we come to that, we look down at Job chapter 1, verses 13. And if you would, look in your Bibles, uh, and I hope you have your Bibles out, even though we're, I know we're online and you're probably at home, and, and, uh, but I hope you get your Bible out and look. But I want you to see what happened here. Verses 13 to 19, it says, Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in uh, their oldest brother's house. 
And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another came also and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came in and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came in and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Job lost it all. Other than his wife and a few servants, everything else, gone. In a matter of moments, one thing happened right after the other. Gone. He lost it all. You know, true character comes out when the heat's on. We find out who we really are when the pressure and the heat is on our lives. Whatever's on the inside will come out. I want you to look at verse number 22. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Father, bless your word. Bless us as we take principles from your word to try to implement those in our lives. May we honor your word, what you say. Lord, may you speak to us. May you work within us. Holy Spirit, change us to be more like Christ. Do a work in each of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you prepared? The title of our message today is Preparing for the Worst. Are you prepared? I think Job was. And today I want to share with you three characteristics of Job's preparation. What made him so prepared? You know, worldwide, the last time I looked up uh, what's going on with the coronavirus, worldwide there were almost 560,000 people infected, over 25,000 deaths. Here in the United States, 86,012 were infected and 1,301 people had died. What if tragedy hits you? Are you prepared to handle it? Oh, I'm not saying that, that Job didn't weep. I'm not saying that he didn't feel grief and hurt and heartache. I, am, I know he did. But nonetheless, he could still say at the very end that he would not charge God with evil, and in all this, Job did not sin. And I think it was because he was prepared. And I want to share with you this morning three characteristics of Job that made him prepared for the tragedies that came his way. In verse number one, the first characteristics I see is that Job was a man of integrity publicly. Job was a man of integrity publicly. You'll see there in verse number one, it says that he was blameless and upright. The word blameless, that word occurs six times in the book of Job. And the word blameless means the absence of wrongdoing or the absence of sinful actions. This guy, Job, 
he had prepared his life and he had lived his life as a man who didn't, he didn't lie, he didn't cheat, he didn't cheat at his business dealings, he didn't gossip, he didn't speak evil of other people, he didn't speak evil of his wife, he didn't speak evil of his children, uh, he was not an idolater, although many people were at this time, uh, he didn't cheat the government, he, this guy, there was nothing that they could look at this guy about and say that he did this wrong, there was nothing that was there. Uh, he, he didn't cut in the, in the food lines, you know. Uh, he didn't try to, to uh, get something that wasn't his. He didn't stiff the servant at the local Outback Steakhouse there in the, in the land of us, you know. He, he, he lived in such a way that people couldn't look at him and say, oh, yeah, we got this on Job or we got that on Job. No, he was blameless. This was a guy who did, really didn't do anything wrong. And anything, uh, he didn't cheat on his wife. He didn't cheat on his business dealings. Didn't hold grudges. He didn't argue. Just, the list could go on and on. When somebody would cut him off, uh, he would say he's riding his horse or his, his wagon or whatever, and somebody cuts him off, he wouldn't yell at him and shake his fist and yell and maybe even say a few choice words. You know, he wouldn't do that. He was blameless, but he was also upright. Blameless is the absence of wrongdoing or the absence of sinful actions, but being upright means that there was the presence of righteous actions. There were no unrighteous actions, but there were plenty of righteous actions. This guy, he's a guy who lived in peace with his neighbors. He's a guy who handled his money and his, uh, properly. His business was an honest business. Uh, he was, uh, I imagine he was a guy who was always on time. He had good relationships with people. Uh, he was a faithful husband and a loving father and a worshiper of the Lord, no idols in his house. He treated others fairly. He treated others justly. He, he was a generous person to the poor. Job was upright in all that he did. And he might have even been one of those people that people look at and kind of go, man, he, he's, he just, he's so righteous. He's such a righteous dude. And they, they, they might have been even jealous of him. I know all of us at one point have probably been in school where there was that one student in school, right? They got straight A's all the time. It's just, it's not fair. Now me, I'm a C student, all right? I was always an average student. I wasn't very smart. I wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed, but that's all right. I, I, I got out there and I did what I could, but there was always those students who would make straight A's, and they, get, they don't get 4.0 on their GPA, right? They get 4.13 and 4.28 and 4.5, and, and it's like, man, it's, not, it's just not right. Well, this was Job when it came to his, how, he, how he dealt with people. He was a man of integrity, he was a man who publicly, when people looked at Job, they looked at him and said, man, that guy is spot on. He's a righteous guy. And uh, they, they knew that about him. I believe that helped prepare him for the tragedy that was coming his way because he had right relationships with the people, and the people knew publicly Job was a righteous man of God. But secondly, we also see in verse number one that he was also a man of right, uh, righteousness inwardly. A man of righteousness inwardly. Look at verse 1 again. It says that he was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil. Feared God. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? Does that mean he was afraid of God? Well, that's part of it, being afraid of something. I mean, we better fear God, right? I mean, God is God. Jesus said in Luke 12, 5, I will show you who you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. John, the revelator, John the apostle, said in Revelation 14, 7, Fear God and give him glory, for the hour of judgment has come. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him 
who is able to destroy both the soul and the body. Listen, church, we ought to fear God. That's something that's missing in our nation, and probably I would say even worldwide today, is we do not fear God. Now, I don't believe necessarily that that's exactly what Job was saying here, what the writer's saying about Job, is that he feared God in that way. But I'll tell you what, there was an element of that, I'm sure. Whenever uh, we we think of God, we fear fear him, we think of awe. We think of a humble uh, trust that we have, that God is awesome and therefore we reverently fall before him. That's part of fear as well, just not being scared of someone or being scared of God, which we should be, but we're in awe and respect and honor of God. And I think that's what it's talking about here in Job. God directed everything in Job's life. It directed his decisions. It, di- it directed his family life. It directed how he treated his children, his wife. It directed his, his business dealings with people. It directed how he dealt with the, the, the governing authorities that were around him. Everything about Job, he did in such a way that he said, you know what? I humbly trust God so much, fear. I humbly trust him so much that I'm going to do it right. And no matter what happens, I know God's going to take care of me. I trust him to take care of me. Many of us have, uh, at one time or another, gotten on a roller coaster, you know. And as you get in that line, and it weaves back and forth, back and forth, and sometimes we'll wait for two or three hours, but the whole time, that anticipation is building, right? That, that anticipation, the adrenaline, and you just, little by little, your heart pounds faster and faster and faster. And then all of a sudden, you get to the front, and you know, oh, man, it's go time. It's go time. So you step out, and you step into that compartment, whatever it is, and then they take that big old bar, that piece, that whatever it is, that piece of metal, and just, right? And you lock it, and you're, what's, what's happening? Oh, you know, the adrenaline's going, the, the things are flying, and you're just wondering, oh, and, the, and fear has set in. But you're going to stay in there. Why? Because you trust in what they've put you in. You trust that bar that's going to hold you in place. You trust that that car, that, that, that compartment is going to stay on the tracks, right? You trust in that. Even though there's a ton of fear that's there, that fear is actually leading to trust in what they're, what they're doing. And then when you're done, you want to do it again, you know, and, and it, the fear starts all over again, although it may not be as much this time. This is what God is. God says, listen, fearing me means not just being afraid that because I'm powerful and I'm awesome, but being in awe of me and respecting me and honoring me in such a way that you get on my, my roller coaster. And I may take you this way, and I may take you that way, and it may be upside down and loop to loop, and I'm going to take you into, into light, and I'll take you through darkness. But either way, I've got you locked in. Will you trust me? And that's what Job was doing here. He was righteous inwardly because he feared God. You know what's interesting about this? What does fear normally do to us? When we're afraid of something, what do we normally do? We run, right? This fear doesn't cause you to run from God. This kind of fear draws you to God. And that's what builds your faith. That's what builds your trust. We have here at Central Baptist Church our resident uh, uh, black racer snake. He's out here. Every now and again I see him. And uh, there, it's kind of funny to watch because you know when he's kind of out there and he kind of crosses people's path, you can see them you know, jump back, or they'll, you know, you can see what they do. Why? Because they want to run from there. They're afraid of it. But that's not the way God is. God, when we fear him, that means we run to him, and we embrace him, and we care for him, and we trust him. He not only feared God, 
as being a, right, a man of righteousness inwardly, but secondly, he shunned evil. The word shunned, some of your translations might say that he turned away. He turned away from sin. To shun is to turn away from sin. In other words, he lived a separated life. Job avoided evil. It wasn't that he just he didn't do evil, which he didn't do evil. He avoided doing evil. In fact, he probably did his best to stay away from the temptation to do evil. He fled. He ran from it. But we all know that at one point or another, we run into temptation. And thankfully, even though that may happen, God has promised in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that he will not give you more than you're able to handle when it comes to temptation. And in doing so, he'll always provide a way of escape and to bear under it however you have to. But the point here is that that Job was a man who ran from evil. He feared God. And I am convinced, I am convinced that those characteristics in his life caused him to say, you know what? Naked, I came into this world. Naked, I'll go back out of this world. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with any evil. Job was prepared because he was a man of righteousness on the inside. He feared God and stayed away from evil. And boy, that's something that we all could put into our own lives too. Lastly and thirdly, I see in verses 4 and 5 that Job was a man of worship privately. Worship privately. Look at verse number 4. It says, And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his own appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. His kids, they would have these parties, cookouts, get-togethers, banquets, feasts, meals, call it what you want. They would have these get-togethers, and each brother, each son, would have one that was on their specific day. Now, we don't know that they had them seven days a week. Maybe it was once every week, once a month. We don't know. But nonetheless, Scripture doesn't tell us, but nonetheless, we know that they had them, and each time they would invite the rest of the family over. The sisters would all come, and they would have this big party, this big cookout, this uh, big feast, all right? Afterwards, after all the parties were done, and there were seven of them because there were seven sons, Scripture says here that Job would gather or send for his children, separate them one at a time, and would offer a burnt offering to them. Now, a burnt offering was, could have been a ram, could have been a lamb, could have been a bull, whatever it was. But for each child, he would offer a burnt offering for them. Why? Just in case they had sinned. Just in case in the midst of all their partying, they forgot God. Just in case in the midst of their having a great time, that the Scripture says here they possibly even cursed God without even realizing it. They, per, they cursed God in their heart. This was the way that he lived when he connected with his children. Maybe they got drunk. He would, he, this is why he, he did, uh, presented this burnt offering. Maybe they said some things they shouldn't have. Maybe they did some things that they shouldn't have. This is why he presented these offerings ten times after every time that they had these, these seven feasts. He would offer these things. What was Job doing? Job was teaching his children 
his sons and daughters what it meant to be in a right relationship with God. So that when tragedy struck, he knew he had done all that he could for his family. He knew that he had done all that he could to train his children. He knew that he had prepared them for the moment and that he would be prepared for the moment. I imagine in offering these sacrifices, he taught them how to pray. I imagine he taught them the importance of the forgiveness of sin and God's love and grace and mercy. I imagine he taught them how to confess their sins and to repent of their sins. I'm sure that he taught them what a right relationship with God looked like. And I'm sure he taught them how to sacrifice an animal, how to slaughter that bull or that lamb or that ram or whatever it was. This was a great teachable moment. For Job, when it came to his children, he would take them away privately, one by one, and worship God through sacrifice, through worship, through repentance, through confession of sin. Bottom line is that Job sought that the children might be right in the sight of God. He taught his children how to be right with God. Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Some of your translations will say the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Those are very intimate terms. And it's interesting here, in doing this, that's exactly what Job was doing. Even though Job was there, existed thousands of years before that was written, he was training them, teaching them and the Lord what was right. Moms and dads out there, we're like military satellites. Now, what does a military satellite do? It watches the enemy, right? It watches the enemy. It's up there high in the sky, and it's looking down, and they say, you know, you can, it can locate a grapefruit that's on the ground, you know. But uh, it, it watches the enemy. It sees the, the troop movement. It sees tank movement. It sees uh, 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 all kinds of uh, things. That it looks for traps and ambushes and things like that, right? And we as parents, we're, we're a lot like that. We're a lot like military satellites in that we want to be up here looking down over our children and pointing out those traps, pointing out those ambushes, and at, while at the same time teaching them, you know what, this is what it means to love God. This is what it means to have a right relationship with God. And that is exactly what Job was doing here. Job was prepared because he had spent a lifetime getting his children ready. Think about that for a moment. He was getting his children ready while at the same time, guess what that was doing to him? That was making him ready. As he prepared them, he was preparing himself so that when tragedy hit, he would have a proper response to God. Getting them prepared, he got himself prepared. It gets you into the word. It gets you crying out and calling out to God. It gets you to seeing prayers answered. It gets you in agreement with the mind of God. It gets you to see personal growth in your own life and in your children's lives and in your spouse's life. You create habits of time with God, spiritual discipline, and you develop. What is all that doing? It's preparing you. I think it's interesting here. In verse number five, the latter part of it, it says, thus Job did regularly. In other words, it was a developed spiritual discipline. 
it was as commonplace in his life as, as anything else, as getting dressed in the morning. It was just something he did regularly. It was consistent every time, growing and knowing God. A man of integrity publicly, a man of righteousness inwardly, and a man of worship privately. You say, all right, Pastor, how does that really, what does that, what does that do for me? Well, I think you would agree we're, we're in difficult days. There's no doubt about that. Our country has never seen anything like this. The world has never seen anything like this. And we hope that the end is in sight, but we don't know. So then how are we going to handle it? What if, what if some of the things that are going on today reaches out and touches you or your family? A lot of people will shake their fist at God and curse God. Job didn't. Job was prepared to do it. I want to close this morning with just giving you three quick applications, and each one of these actually is just a question. It's something I want you to ponder, something I want you to think about, each one of these questions. Number one is this, what is my relationship like with my neighbor? You know, we talk about loving God and loving people. Love your neighbor as yourself. And a lot of times we'll think of neighbor. Well, our neighbor is anybody out there. Yeah, but you know what? Your neighbor is also your neighbor, the guy right next to you, the person sitting to you, next to you right now, the person that's next door or across the street. What's your relationship with them? If it's, if it's a great relationship, God bless. That's awesome. That's the way it ought to be. Maybe you don't even know your neighbor. They don't know anything about you, so they can't say whether you're a, a, a blameless and whether you're upright or not because they don't know you at all. You know, you need to introduce yourself. You need to talk to them, reach out to them, get to know them, check on them, you know. Well, I know in the midst of, you know, social distancing and all that we're going through right now, uh, you know, but it, it, I, probably what you could do, you could even just go knock on their door or if you happen to see them in the driveway, maybe they're pulling away or, or about to pull away, get in a car, maybe they're going to the store or something, you could just, hey, how you doing, you know, just from a distance, talk to them. Maybe you could go and knock on their door and just take about four or five steps back, social distancing there, and just tell them, listen, I'm Dave West, I, I live next door, and uh, listen, I just want you to know, I wanted to come check on you, see if you're okay, and uh, if there's anything I could do for you, you know, uh, I want to do that for you. If we need to serve you guys anyway, maybe if you need somebody to get groceries or whatever, especially for our, for our elderly folks in our neighborhoods, you know. Just reaching out to our neighbors and, and having that kind of relationship like Job had uh, publicly with the people that he knew, you know. Just take 30 seconds. Take 30 seconds. Talk about sports. Talk about kids. Talk about health needs. Talk about whatever, but build that relationship with your neighbor. Question number two is this. What is my relationship like with God? Wow, Job, what an incredible relationship with God. For you, is your relationship with God, is it distant or is it close? Are you wandering from God or are you getting closer to God? I think Job was constantly getting closer to the Lord and knowing God in a very intimate way. Did you spend time with him this morning? Time in prayer, time in the word. How much time over the past week? What is your relationship with God like? A lot of times we get so caught up in doing the things of God that we forget that the doing should be coming out of our being before God and our relationship with him. How has he changed you just this week? What prayers have you cried out to him that he has answered? Can you give answers to prayer? How has he ministered to you? How has he comforted you? Are you keeping short sin accounts with God? 
Well, I bet Job did. Job wasn't perfect, blameless, but he wasn't perfect. But I bet he kept short sin accounts with God, and he was constantly a man of confession and repentance. You know, what's interesting about this whole relationship with Job and God is this. Job existed when Abraham was on the earth, about that same time frame. So that means Job didn't have a Bible. Job didn't even have the Ten Commandments. He didn't have the Jewish law. He had none of that. All he had was his relationship with God. And his relationship was, with God was so intimate that he knew what God thought and what God wanted when it came to righteousness and holiness. That's the kind of relationship with God that I want. Last question, third question, what do I do specifically to train my children in the things of the Lord? What do I do specifically to train my children in the things of the Lord? What do you do? Some would say, well, I take them to church. Well, that's a good start, but it's got to go far beyond that. All right, you take them to school too, but the teachers do most of the teaching, you know? I want to encourage you, find ways to teach your children about the Lord. When you're done watching the service today or at lunch to, uh, today or tonight or dinner tonight, whatever the case may be, why not, uh, mom or dad, bring a Bible to the table, read a verse, one verse, read two verses, and then look at your kids and say, well, what's, what's God saying to us here? What do you think God wants us to know from this verse? Maybe you read a, a particular story about a particular person in the Bible. But break out the Bible. Pray with them. Let them hear you pray for their spiritual welfare. Let them hear you praying for their future husband or wife. Let them hear you pray for how God, your desire for God to use them in the future and to use them in, 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 whether it be in a secular workplace or in church ministry, whatever the case may be. Teach them about how they need forgiveness of sins. Teach them how to confess sin and to repent and to grow in their relationship with the Lord. Teach them how to intercede in prayer for other people by you interceding praying for other people. Then when you're done praying, ask them, do you know what that was? That was intercessory prayer. That was intercession. We were praying for other people. Who do you want to pray for? And then get them to pray. And you pray with them and pray for that particular individual. Church, I want to encourage you. You know, we all know tragedy could come at any moment. Any moment. Split second. Are we prepared? Am I prepared? Are you prepared for when these things come? Job was prepared. He was a man of integrity. He was a man who worshiped God. He was a man who interceded for people. He was a man who cared about the spiritual well-being of his, of his children. And in the end, when it came time, when crunch time came, what does he say? Well, back to chapter 1, verse number, verse 20. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and Worshipped, And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin, nor charge God with wrong. Are you prepared? You know, this preparation all begins with salvation. That's, that's the ultimate preparation right there. Are you prepared to meet your maker? The Bible says that it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. In other words, we will all die and then stand before God one day. Are you prepared for that day? If you're not sure, I've got great news for you. The only way 
you can be prepared to meet God is through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus left heaven. He came to this earth, took on flesh, the Bible says, and he dwelt among us. He was the perfect, sinless son of God. And at age 33, he was accused of things that he did not do, and they led him, convicted him, and led him to a cross. And he died on the cross for your sins and for mine. He took my place and my sin on that cross, and that's what he did for you too. And he bled and died. And the scripture tells us, just as he predicted, three days later he rose from the dead. He died so his blood could be shed and we could have forgiveness of sins. And then he raised three days later so that he could show us that we could have new life in him. Would you today believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? That's where preparation all begins. Would you believe on him today? Call on him. Call out to him. Cry out to him and say, God, please come into my life. I'm sorry. Forgive me of my sins. My sin separates me from you. I can't get to heaven without you. Jesus, please come into my life and save me. Would you call on him today? That is the first step of preparation. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you this morning, my prayer that if there's someone out there who doesn't know you as Savior, God, that you would reach down and touch their life and they might see their need for you. May they see that they need a Savior and that they can only get to heaven through you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to always be prepared. Tragedy is just around the corner for any of us. And may we be prepared in such a way that we can say as Job, the Lord gives, the Lord is taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin. Father, thank you for Job. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for Jesus. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.